0: Hey guys, welcome to Sunday Nights at Refuge, a community-focused Bible study that gathers weekly in our Common Ground Cafe. So grab a cup of coffee or tea and your Bible. By the way, you can connect with us on Instagram at Refuge Family. Now our prayer is that Jesus would use this message to draw you closer to Him. So if you're ready, let's join tonight's study. Well, good evening. Thanks again for being here tonight. And, um, you know, we, uh, we'll be studying through the Psalms, as you uh, have already begun studying through the Psalms uh, tonight. And, um, you know, it's being Christmas, and I have an Easter psalm. So we're going to be doing all the holidays tonight, it looks like. Um, but, you know, there, there was a theme that was happening with myself in worship, and I think it was also confirmed here. As you open your Bibles to Psalm 22, you'll realize exactly what we'll be studying. And it was already mentioned, uh, the cross. And I was looking around, and I was noticing people communicating with each other and loving on each other and stuff. And, um, you know, none of this would be possible. None of this would even be happening. It wasn't for the cross. Because not only have we been reconciled to God, a holy God, as a sinful people, but we're also reconciled to each other as well. There's no more divisions. There's no more uh, boundaries. You know, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither male or female. There's neither bond, slave, or free. But we're all one in Christ. And it's only because of the cross that that is even possible. So I just it's just great you know just on this whole theme about the cross because we'll be talking about that tonight I can remember as a young believer and God just ministering to me and telling me you know uh, I came from a certain situation we've all come from different groups and, and these sorts of things and you know in all honesty let's be truthful you know there's there's a good mix in the body of Christ and there's some people that you might think oh they're just a little bit different And if I was in the world, I definitely wouldn't be hanging out with them. And I remember the Lord nailed me. And he says, you know what? I didn't ask you to figure them out. I asked you to love them. And to me, that was revolutionary. Because, you know, we all come from, I was born and raised here. I went to Huntington Beach High School. You know, this is my city. And I grew up in a certain way. But as was beautifully portrayed by our sister, you know, there's no black or white or Mexican or anything in the body of Christ that's all baloney that doesn't exist and it's because of the cross so we're going to study the cross tonight being Christmas what a great time but we're on very holy ground here tonight if you open up your Bibles to Psalm 22 as I mentioned before Um, obviously the whole Bible is holy ground yet I believe this is some of the holiest ground there is. And what we're looking at in Psalm 22 is a psalm of David. And, of course, King David, many experiences he went through, that's for sure, chronicled for us in the scriptures. Uh, The psalms themselves, right, uh, are portraying so much of our human experience, this side of heaven, our emotions, So, if you ever want to maybe try to express yourself, do you ever, anybody ever have a hard time expressing themselves to the Lord? You know, how do I say that to God? You know, oftentimes if you look in the Psalms, you'll find a psalm that just sort of nails it for you. Because again, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, He was able to articulate so much of what we find so hard to put into words. And there's a lot of struggle that we go through in this world, a lot of emotional struggle because this is what we have to deal with. And so what's happening here in Psalm 22, is a Psalm of David. Now, as I mentioned, David went through a lot of uh, different situations. This particular Psalm though, is not able to connect really to any event that we know that really occurred in David's life, which is interesting. But nonetheless, somebody went through this experience. I'm talking about a human being, but yet it also had that prophetic element which a lot of the scriptures do. For instance, you maybe you've heard this said before. The new is in the old concealed and the old is in the new revealed. Let me say that again. Old New Testaments, right? The old, or sorry, the new is in the old concealed, but the new is in or the old is in the new revealed. And that's what we see here. This is going to be portraying, as I've mentioned, uh, the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus. Holy, holy ground for sure. But yet there was somebody that experienced it emotionally this side of heaven as well, an actual human. And what you see is someone who feels forsaken of God, Okay. yet they're about to be executed. And then they go through an execution, or almost through an execution, In this case, it is prophetic of the Lord Jesus in his crucifixion. And then the last 10 verses of this particular psalm show God's wonderful deliverance. Okay? So that's what we're dealing with here. Let's have a look at it. My God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? Why are you so so far from helping me? And from the words of my groaning, Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear, and in the night seasons, and I am not silent. You see somebody again grappling with a a, a situation, a quite grave situation. Quite literally. And and what's happening here is he's feeling like his prayers just aren't getting anywhere. He feels like God has actually forsaken him. Now, I think a lot of us, if not all of us, could identify with that. But please notice something. It's a feeling. But they're very real. But the truth of the matter is, as we're going to notice here, Jesus himself experienced this forsaking ultimately, right? We know this from the scriptures from the New Testament. This is quoted by Jesus on the cross. Eli, Eli, lama Sabathani. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We all know that but he was forsaken so that you would never be forsaken. You're never forsaken. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, it says very clearly, it says, I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. And you may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. That's his promise to you. It's not a feeling. It's the real deal. And so feelings come and go, don't they? But this guy's really dealing with it. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Again, prophetic of the Lord Jesus on the cross. We understand this. We know this. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? I cry. He's crying out in prayer. Day and night, he's crying out. You ever been there? You ever been there? But then you notice he encourages himself. Though feeling forsaken, he has to remind himself. And this is something that we need to do as well. When you feel forsaken, when you're believing a lie, because that's a lie, right? It's just a feeling, it's a lie. It's not truth. I just told you the truth. He was forsaken that you might not ever be forsaken if you're his kid. But yet you have to encourage yourself sometimes in the Lord. King David was a great guy in this regard, in a sense, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and him working. In, and sometimes we have to do this for ourselves. He says, why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. You gotta hope in God. Not people, not churches, not anything. But when you're discouraged, when you feel forsaken, it's not the reality of the situation, though it might feel that way. And then you have to encourage yourself in the Lord. And that's exactly what he does here. Notice this. But you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. So he's reminding himself, out of all the gods in the world, because there's plenty of gods, right? Small g's. right? Some people, their car's their god, right? They get a scratch on it, and then they go out in the parking lot, and they go, oh my god. But it's true, everybody's got something that they're relying on, and that's their ultimate purpose, that's their God. But he remembers that this God that he's dealing with is the Holy One of Israel. And that's a very special God you're dealing with. And that's also very helpful too, huh? When you're going through a tough time, it's always good to remember who you're dealing with. If your God's not all-powerful, then you might have some problems, but this God happens to be all-powerful. And he reminds and rehearses himself in the truth of how God in the past was faithful. Notice this. Verse four, our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried out to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and they were not ashamed. I remember who I'm dealing with here. He's a faithful God. and you showed yourself faithful to our fathers in this case it's the jewish nation obviously but you know we're in the same thing in the general sense of the family of god you've got the whole old testament full of deliverances of the lord well this is their history this is their actual history and so he recounts the faithfulness of god If you don't know the faithfulness of God, it doesn't change the fact that he's faithful. In fact, it says when you are faithless, he remains faithful because he can't deny himself. See, that's just who you are. Whether you believe it or not, that's not going to change him. That's the very essence of who he is. So when you remain faithless, he remains faithful because he can't deny himself. It's just who he is. There's a lot of theology in these things. But nonetheless, he rehearses the fact that, God, you were faithful before. I've been crying out to you. I feel forsaken, but i got to remember, no, our God is an awesome God. He's able to deliver, and he does deliver, and he has delivered, and he will deliver, and that's my hope. And so you get encouraged in the things of the Lord. And so he cries out and he remembers these things. But then he reflects on himself. Notice verse 5. Sorry, verse uh, six. It says, but I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men despised by the people. You know, when you're in a low moment, you might feel like a worm of a person. Of course, this is depictive of the Lord Jesus himself. and What you're about to experience here is the sufferings in which he, Jesus, Uh, Experience on the cross. And and all the rants and ravings and the attacks of the evil around him while he was dying for us. By the way, of course, it's Christmas, right? And do you realize that from the very beginning, it was already prophesied why he even came? You shall call his name Jesus. Because he'll save his people from their sin. This baby in Bethlehem was born to die. That's why he came. He had to have a body because a body needed to die. God can't die. God can't bleed. God is spirit, and those that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. So he needed a body. And so God created him a body so he could die. He was born to die. And so here he is, and he feels like a worm. Now, this is very interesting. Probably some of you already know this. Thank you for my Hebrew friends, our Israeli brothers. And they've confirmed that this word for worm, though there are apparently two words in Hebrew for a worm, this is the tolat. Forgive my pronunciation. You'd be glad to meet with our Israeli friends. they will teach you how to say it properly. Uh, But the point here is, listen to this. The Lord Jesus, I am a worm. I feel as though I'm a worm of a person. Uh, You see, he's hanging on a cross. And it says in the book of Hebrews as well that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. Do you realize how incredibly shameful it was for God himself to be hanging on a cross and be crucified by his own creation? He came unto his own and his own received him not. He knew what it was like to be rejected. He knew what it was like to ultimately be forsaken. And he felt as though he was this worm. But in Hebrew, the word for worm here is tolat. Now, this is very interesting. This worm, tolat, is not your ordinary worm. It's a special kind of worm, so special that what it does is it has a unique function. And let me explain a couple of things. This worm, when it wants to reproduce itself, it latches onto a piece of wood or a tree. Sound familiar? And as it goes, and it's about to give birth, it actually dies in giving birth. And it turns a crimson-red color when it does. And this is the worm that they would use to mash up to make crimson or red colored cloth. It was so pungent, potent, that's probably the word. So this tolat, the special kind of worm that he relates to, attaches itself to a tree, a piece of wood. And at giving birth, it turns red and dies. And three days later, that red crimson spot turns white. It crystallizes. Interesting. Because we know that though your sins, my sins, be as scarlet, they shall become white as snow. Interesting. I feel like a worm. I feel unworthy. You ever feel that way? Well, you're in good company. But don't forget, he became that worm so that you don't have to be that worm. You're not that worm. He became the curse. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for you. That you might become the righteousness of God through him. Amen. If that doesn't get you going, please come talk to us. Let me say that again. God made him the worm the one forsaken. God made him who knew no sin. He was sinless son of God. Can you imagine that? You can't really imagine that. He knew no sin. And then all of a sudden on the cross, according to Isaiah 53, it says God laid upon him the iniquities or sins of us all. And by his stripes we were healed. That is a unfathomable thing that happened. That the sinless son of God, who knew no sin, became sin, became the worm. So that you might get the great exchange and become the righteousness of God through him. It's imputed righteousness. See, I always say this, right? We always talk about how Jesus died for your sins. And yes, that's true. Of course it's true. We're talking about that right now. But before he died for your sins, you know what he did? He lived your life. He lived the life you were supposed to live that you will never live. And if you receive that perfect life and perfect death in exchange for you, that's what we call salvation because it's perfect righteousness. Incredible. So I feel like this worm. Not a man. I'm a reproach of man and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip, and they shake their heads, saying, Ah, he trusted in God, in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Now, again, this was quoted, right? By the way, Psalm 22, there are seven seven quotations from this particular psalm in the New Testament. And this is another one of them. And it was almost quoted verbatim. Do you remember the Jesus was hanging on the cross, and and those religious people staring at him, hanging and dying on the cross? They said, "Hey, if he delights in the Lord, let him come down from that cross. Let God deliver him." Again, quoted almost verbatim from this psalm. Another thing, too, is this psalm being prophetic, A psalm of David, comes 1,000 years prior to this particular event we call the crucifixion. And 500 years before this thing called crucifixion, which was established by the Assyrians, they're the ones who came up with this wonderful way to execute people called crucifixion. And the Romans sort of perfected it but it was the Assyrians. And you're going to see methods by which would indicate that it was truly a crucifixion, form of death. He wasn't stoned. You know, he wasn't electrocuted. He was crucified. All in prophecies being fulfilled here from Psalm 22. Notice this, verse 9. But you are he who took me out of my womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breast. I was cast upon you from birth. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. And so again, he's reminding himself of, Lord, you're all I had. You gave me life. You've been there for me since I was born, and I'm trusting in you. That's the place where this guy was. Total, completely at the mercy of what God would do. Realizing that he has always been in this very vulnerable place. And we're all there. Some of us like to act a little bit tough and like we got it all together. and But you know what? Get one little flu bug in you and you're on your on the bed. You know, it's amazing how a little flu bug can just wipe us out, you know? You're not so strong, are you? But he realizes, you know what? At the end of the day, my I, you birthed me. You gave me life on my mother's breast. I learned to trust in you. You're all I've got. I don't have anything else to trust in. Do not be far from me, verse 11, for trouble is near and there is none to help. There's none but him to help. It's a hard place to be but it's a good place to be. It's not the weirdest thing about our Christian walks. You know, a lot of times people will say, hmm, you know, I really appreciate all these Bible stories. I, I enjoy hearing about how God, you know, did these wonderful, you know, miraculous things, delivered people. Um, why don't we see a lot of that going on today? Well, there's probably a lot of conversations to be had about that, but I've thought about it. And I think that one of the reasons could be you have to suffer And you don't like to suffer. You have to go through a hard time to see him deliver. You have to be in a predicament in order to see him do something strong in your life. And many of you can testify to that because I know you've been through stuff. But a lot of us, if we're honest, we don't want to suffer. And you wonder why you don't see God working in so much. Could be one of the reasons. Not all the reasons, but that's one of them. For sure. This guy's at the end of his rope you got to be at the end of your rope. you got to be at the Dead Sea. You ever been to a Dead Sea before? I'm talking about the experience, not the actual physical place. You know, you, you can't go backwards. you got the enemy chasing you. You can't go to the right because there's a mountain. You can't go to the left because of the mountain. And you certainly can't go forward because there's all ocean in front of you. You're trapped. But you know what? When you're trapped, that's when you see God move. You have faith in him and you say, He's the God who still parts the Dead Sea, Red Sea, and he's a God who makes a way where there is no way. Do you know that about him? He makes a way where there is no way. And this guy's at the end of his rope, and he's saying, oh, God, help me. And again, you know, I'm hoping that you understand this is the real deal, but also also, this is the experience of the Lord Jesus. This idea of Jesus hanging on the cross, taking on the sins of the world, um, it's a bit much. It's hard to take in. We can't fully fathom everything he endured. He never knew sin. See, we get it, don't we? We know brokenness. We know sin. We know what it does to hurt. We know everything that it does to maim. It even makes you look ugly. Do you ever notice somebody that's been sinning a lot? They look ugly. They prematurely age. Sin is bad. Sin is death. And he came and he never knew it before experientially. And all of a sudden, bam. He felt everything there was to feel. I don't know. I don't understand it. All your sick, perverted thoughts. All your your perversion. All your everything. Your worst thoughts. Your worst foul mouth. Everything. He never experienced it. Literally, he never experienced it. All of a sudden, it was just laid on him. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? Oh, God, he never felt it before. It's an incredible situation. And then, to make matters worse, if you're not suffering enough by this point, You got all these crazy people around you snarling at you like the strong bulls of Bashan. They surrounded me, verse 12. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. Now, okay, we live at the beach, right? We don't have lions here. But you can imagine a roaring lion. Just stop to think about that, how terrifying that would be. And maybe some of you have been around a roaring lion. But me being a Huntington Beach boy, Ain't no lions here. Strong bulls. Those are strong animals. You ever see the running of the bulls in Spain? You know, you ever see somebody get gored, bucked? You know, they're strong animals. And they're, what are they doing? He's hanging on the cross and they're circling them around. And this is what it feels like. The roaring lion, the strong bulls of Bashan. It's an area in the northeast of the country. And then how does he feel physically? Well, let's talk about that for a minute. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. I'm poured out like water. I'm not gonna pour out water, I'm gonna drink something here. But you know, you take some water, you pour it out to the last drop. There's nothing left. He doesn't have anything left. I'm like, poured out, water. And he says here as well, my heart has melted. It's like wax. Now, again, this is going to be describing much of what it's like to be crucified. And crucifixion, for those that don't know, is basically death by asphyxiation. You suffocate. Because the only way for you to get any oxygen in your lungs, when you're like this and you're hanging, all your body weight is hanging, and you only have these two things supporting you, and everything's pulling down. The only way for you to get any air, you have to go and pull up. So your diaphragm can get air. That's why they broke the legs of people that were still hanging around because then they would just finally suffocate. And so it's death by asphyxiation and this is what's going on here and his heart feels like wax. And my bones are out of joint. Anybody dislocate any joints anytime? Dislocated shoulders? I understand they're very painful. I can't imagine. Again, you know, I hope we're not too... By the way, this is excruciating pain, right? And that word comes from the word cross, excruciating. It comes from that experience on the cross, something that's excruciatingly painful. But I hope we're not too jaded. So I'm taking my time to kind of paint the picture because he did this for me. He did this for me and I think he did it for a lot of you too and you know that he endured this this is what I deserve you ever wonder why Jesus had to be so bloodied up you know I saw that Mel Gibson remember that The passion of the Christ how many of you saw that okay well you know it's pretty graphic maybe it was just exactly that graphic in reality And I just thought to myself, why did he have to have his back ripped open? You know, I kind of feel like Jesus could have said, all right, boys, that's enough. (laughs) You know what I mean? All he had to do was shed blood. Did he have to go through all of that? Crown of thorns, mockings. I mean, he could have just died. He just had to spill his blood. Did he have to go through all that? See, there's something in the Bible called propitiation. Okay, it's time for you guys to learn a few things, right? Maybe you've read that before. Propitiation. Well, what's that mean? Well, I'm going to tell you. It means the appeasement of God's wrath. See, God's mad at sin. And he's righteous and he has to slap and jam it and kill it. It's the just punishment that is deserved. See, in heaven, I don't know if you know this or not, you know. In heaven we have this rap sheet. You know what a rap sheet is? Usually your criminal offenses. Some of us have rap sheets here on have, in earth too, you know. But we all have this heavenly rap sheet and you all are going to be punished because you've offended a holy God. We're all criminals. And God says, I know that, but I'm going to take your punishment for you. So the book of Hebrews, I've quoted a lot of book of Hebrews, haven't I? says, how shall you escape if you neglect so great a salvation? Do you think there's any other hope? He took it for you right here, and if you reject that, you've rejected your only ticket to heaven because he endured all of this suffering because it was the propitiation that God required. It's the appeasement of God's wrath. God is mad at sin. God hates sin. He loves us, and he hates it because of look what it does to us. Look what it does, it mars his creation. And we can all testify to that. We've either sinned against people or we've been sinned against. And we know it's not a fun thing. So he took upon him the iniquities of us all. These are these raging animals, if you will, surrounding him. He's been poured out like water. All of his joints are out of place. His heart is like wax, it melted within me. Verse 15, my strength is dried up like a pot sheared. That's that dried piece of pottery. And um, my tongue clings to my jaw. You have brought me to the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked have encircled me. They pierce, notice, my hands and my feet. I count all my bones and they look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. Again, quoted there in the New Testament, right? Remember that? The uh, actual soldiers, did this in a mocking sort of a, a thing to Jesus with his garments. But you, O Lord, do not be far from me. O my strength, hasten to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Now see, in the Middle East, back then at least, I don't know, our brothers can tell us if it's still the same. A dog is like the, an unclean animal. It's like a scavenger. And so this is what he's talking about. These are these crazy dogs. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. So again, being gored by an animal. Now notice the difference as we continue on and finish out here, the last portion. As I mentioned earlier, the last 10 verses here are now about God's wonderful deliverance. As you'll notice too, uh, I'm running out of time, so I'm gonna just kind of give you a thing. Uh, 21 through 31, is a total shift now and as God answers this cry and notice what happens it says save me from the lion's mouth verse 21 the horns of the wild one you answered me 22 I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly I will praise you that is quoted the 22nd verse here is quoted again in the book of Hebrews chapter 2 And it's very interesting in its connection. You can look it up if you're interested later. Chapter 2 of Hebrews, this is quoted. And and what it is, is in between 21 and 22, there's this wonderful thing that happened, and this is a testament to it. And I put it to you. It's called a resurrection. And you can look at Hebrews chapter 2, and you can see how this is quoted and why it's quoted in its context. And it's basically... What it is, is it's a testimony to the fact that that cross produced something, just like that tolaf, that little worm. What did it do? It gave birth. One man's death gave life to thousands. And so that's what's happened here. And so 22, I will declare your name to the brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob. Glorify him and fear him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. You feel afflicted tonight? Guess what? He's interested. He's interested in your affliction. But you got to bring it to him. Nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him, he heard. We have a hearing God. You know that? You know God hears your prayers. Of course he does. Not only does he hear them, but he acts on them as he did for this man here and of course the Lord Jesus ultimately. My praise shall be of you in the great assembly. I will pay my vows before him and those who fear you. Isn't that interesting how you kind of go through troubled times sometimes and what do you want to do? You initially want to say, oh God, if you do this, I'll do that. I'll make a vow. I'll stop doing that if you do this. Well, guess what? The Bible says it's better not to vow than to vow and not to pay. But this is a troubled situation and this guy made a vow. He goes, okay, I'm gonna pay my vows now. I was in trouble. I was, let's make a deal. Kind of a thing. But you don't have to do that with God. But he did. So he cried out and he heard, uh, paid my vows, verse 26. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he rules over all nations. You ever wonder what God can do? Well, he's sovereign. You know what sovereign means? He does as he pleases. He's sovereign even over the nations. That's a hard one to take, isn't it? Especially if you watch the news these days. You're like, really? Yeah, really. God is working his work behind the scenes because he rules the sovereign over all nations. All the prosperous of the earth shall eat and worship and those who go down to the dust shall bow before him, even he who cannot sit, um, himself keep himself alive a posterity shall serve him and it will be recounted of the Lord to the next generation. Guess what? When you go through something and you have an answer to prayer, you have a testimony, right? And that testimony is to be shared among the body of Christ, to encourage people. And what does it say? It says that, doesn't it, in the New Testament. He says when you are afflicted or you go through something and you've suffered and then you've seen God come through, Take that consolation, that consolation, that comfort that you received, and now you'll be able to comfort others. Let me tell you what God did for me. Let me tell you I went through that same thing, or I went through a similar thing, and you declare it to the next generation, his goodness, his deeds. That's what it means to walk with the Lord. You gotta have your own business with him. It's no good to hear about people who lived 100 years ago and saw God move in radical ways. What about you? And by the way, let me just encourage you with something. This is all you get. This side of heaven to see God move. This is all you get. In heaven, you don't need to see him move. He's right there. You don't need faith. You don't need nothing. Do you want to walk with the Lord? Do you want to see him do something? Have those testimonies. Share them with the next generation. He'll do it. And they will come and declare his righteousness to the people who will be born that he has done this. There's nothing more glorious in all of life than to get serious with the Lord and say, Lord, you know what? You're an awesome God. You can do all things. You're sovereign over the nations and you can do something with my life? That's amazing. That's an awesome God if you can do anything with my life. Yeah, that's who we serve. And then you can look back and you can say, and people will look at you and say, He has done that. So, the cross. So much. Too much. But a little indication, a little insight into what the Lord Jesus accomplished for his beautiful, beautiful kids. Let me say this one last thing. You know, we all understand this concept of something was made or created to be used, right? For instance, today I was driving down Pacific Coast Highway and I was out in front of Pacific City. And If you've ever noticed, there's this, I don't know, it's kind of a design. It's this wood, and it goes up, and then it goes doop, and then it goes up, and people just kind of hang out there. right? And I thought, you know what? If I was the architect, I'd be stoked. Because there was all kinds of people using it. And I said, that's why I designed it. I'm stoked as an architect to see people using it for what I created it for. The Lord Jesus says, now my suffering is over, but I want to return on my suffering. And the return is that people would receive this because it's a free gift of God. It's not of works as any man should boast. I paid it all, Jesus would say. Yeah. And if you don't receive this, if you don't take this offer, There's no other offers. So again, the idea of he did it and now he wants a return. And the return is a lot of you in here. If you have not yet taken that, it's a free gift. There's no weirdness. There's no tricks. He did it all. He paid it all. All to him I owe. He's the one, the holy one. And so receive that, especially at this time of the year. Christmas, man. You came into this world to be born. Born to die for you. Take advantage of it. And he rejoices when people do. This has been a presentation of Refuge Calvary Chapel Huntington Beach. For more information about our ministry, please visit refugefamily.com or call 714-891-9495. Set free my heart. Set free my soul I don't want to be a prisoner no more Unlock the door That holds me in This is the day that life begins Set free my heart Set free my soul. I don't want to be a prisoner no more. No more. Unlock the door that holds me in. This is the day that lies.